I heard stories about this guy from multiple people when I was traveling through Oklahoma. Today on Unbeatable, you get a chance to hear from Dr. Hang Lim, who grew up as a child under the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia and experienced firsthand for years the killing fields. These graphic photos that I saw in history books that make you want to turn your stomach just looking at the photos. You're going to be blown away by this guy's story and all that he's accomplished after leaving Cambodia, coming to the United States, and developing a very successful uh, practice. I'm excited to introduce you to my guest, Dr. Hang Lim, on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Strucker. Dr. Hang Lim, thank you so much for being with me on this episode of Unbeatable. Is it okay if I just call you Hang? Certainly. All right. That, that makes me feel better. Yeah. Well, me too. Uh, I have heard snippets of your story from some people, and what I heard was just blew me away. So, man, I've been looking forward to this interview for some time now. Well, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be on your podcast. And I have really looking forward to share the story, how it can really impact uh, those people who would be open mind to hear what God can do yeah. uh, through them. Well, you're sitting in sunny Florida right now, but you have a uh, you have a practice in Oklahoma, right? So you're spending just a little bit of time away with the family in Florida, just catching a break. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. For everybody who's driving and listening to this, you can't see the palm trees in the background. But for those of you who are watching it, it looks like he's sitting right outside of paradise um, right behind him. And thank you for taking a few minutes out of paradise to do this interview today. Oh, certainly. It's my pleasure, Jeff. So let's talk about how you ended up in the United States, because as people are listening right now, they're going to immediately notice he has an accent. Even if you can't see him, it'll be pretty obvious that you have an accent and hang you. Come. I have an accent. Yeah, just a little bit. Well, I have an <laughs> accent too, but it's, uh, for those of you, for people that are not familiar with your story, you came to the United States as a teenager out of uh, Cambodia, correct? Right. So you lived, um, uh, you were born in Cambodia and you lived there during this incredibly violent, tumultuous period known as the Khmer Rouge and their control over the Cambodian government. And what I read about in school books when I was growing up, the killing fields of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. Um, I realize there's a lot of people that are listening to this podcast and those phrases don't mean anything to them right now. So can you describe a little bit about what life was like for you when you were 12, 13 years old, living under the Khmer Rouge and growing up in this Holocaust, for lack of a better word, of the killing fields in Cambodia? Well, sure. I'll be more than happy to share a story. Um, my, my story really began when I was 10 years old when the communists, it's known as the Khmer Rouge, they came into uh, the city, the whole country, and uh, um, matter of fact, they and the North Vietnamese, they were fighting mm -hmm. together. Right. And I'm sure a lot of the people in the audience out there is familiar with the Vietnam War. Right. Well, the other part of the Vietnam War was the Cambodian War. Well, the communists, they were 
wearing basically black pajama, AK-47, RPG, tanks. They came into the city, and um, they didn't look much older than I was. They were very, very young. And they came knock at, um, at our door, and um, they told us to get out of the city, and they told us a big lie and said the Americans going to come and bomb uh, the city within the next few days, and then you'd better get out. And so when we got out of the city, we went out to the countryside. Um, the Khmer Rouge begins to round up um, all the educated people, yeah. the doctors, the right. lawyers, and all of that, and then they took them and executed them all. And then they forced us young people to work in the commune. And for those people who had any form of, um, you know, tie to the American government and all of that, they, some of them, they was just executed at point blank. And, um, you know, for me, I was taken away from my mom with my brothers out into the jungle to work out in the field. Yeah. You were 10 years old. It sounds like the Khmer Rouge were a lot of those communists were just child soldiers. Is that they correct? Were. They, they, they were so, um, they were so hateful. They were so uh, revengeful of the fact that their life was so miserable and that they just wants to annihilate those people who had a better privilege than they yeah. were. Hang, you just read my mind because I'm certain people are listening right now and they're saying, wait, I don't get it. Look, I understand that there was some American and communist tensions in Cambodia because of the war that was right on the border with Vietnam. But why would the Khmer Rouge come into your town at 10 years old? And by the way, did your whole family run away or was it just you and your brothers when they told you to get out? No, the, uh, the, the, the whole family uh, went together. See, but my father was not there. My father was captured into the jungle to fight the war. And so uh, only my mom and four brothers was left wow. at that time. And she was on the run with her four sons through the jungles, just basically trying to survive, running for her life, right? Yes, exactly. Um, okay, you just mentioned there's tension in the country and communism is starting to push out the elite, the educated class. But would you explain in a little bit more detail why there, why is the hatred so strong that they're just going to execute uh, thousands, tens of thousands of people just because of their social status? You see, uh, Cambodia was going through a, a period of time that uh, most people, a lot of the people were starving. They felt like there was yeah. an in inequality and um, the, the, the poor people was blaming on the foreign influence, on the capitalisms, and the rich people, the well-to-do people was taking bribery. And uh, so the, t the country was in much turmoil and the upper class was doing really well. And the, the younger and the uh, farmers and the poor people, they were seeking um, utopia yeah. or better equality. That's what the communists was promising them and saying that if we win the war and you join our force, we're making sure you get everything that you want. Deserve. I see. So communism's approach was we're going to kill off all of the well-to-do upper class and then make it utopia for the middle and the lower class, right? Exactly. 
you're entitled to have this. Yeah. And those people who prevent you from having that, we are going to get rid of them. And that would be the foreigners, the elite people, the educators, the, the lawyers, the doctors, and all of those. I read these phrases in history books when I was growing up. And then I did the research as a young man in the army, just looking into what really happened there. And I don't have the right words. So the phrase killing fields, I would like for you to describe that phrase for the listener, because it's famous in world history, just how brutal and how violent if you're not sure what we're referring to, I want you to think about the Nazi Holocaust just done at a different level, on literally in the jungles and the fields of Cambodia. But can you describe the killing fields for somebody who's never heard that phrase before? First of all, I would not wish for anyone to walk on the killing field or in the killing fields. And I was in the killing fields for four years um, during this under the communists. What's it look like is that Imagine with me, you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people living in a commune. Mm -hmm. And every one of those people is being controlled with what you say, what clothes you wear, what food you eat, where you go, the kind of relationship you have. And anything and everything that they didn't like, you'll be executed immediately. Wow. And so they executed people by putting plastic bags over their head. They kill people slowly by starving them, or they execute people by taking AK-47. Yeah. They kill people by the mass grave, or they would put people in a building and uh, then lock behind and set on fire. Wow. And uh, so the whole field, entire country was littered by bones and skulls and and uh, matter of fact some of the places there was so much uh, protein and so much um, stuff that's coming from the human body that trees and plants would not survive yeah. that's and I remember one time it was in a um, it was in a kitchen common uh, commune and uh, one particular woman she was complaining because of the food. Mm -hmm. So the food, it was basically just a few grains of rice and water, monsoon water. Wow. And so people, it's just, it's just like the Nazi. It was just skeleton. Yeah. It's our kneecaps was bigger than our head. And we were so malnourished. So a woman was complaining about the food and Kamarat High, Kamarat High, who was a communist leader, he came over the scene. He took an ax that was hiding behind his back. And then he hit her on the back of her skull and she just dropped down to the ground and convulsed. And his ax had a broken handle. And so he ran over the kitchen knife and got a butcher knife and then stepped over her and pushed her over. And on the rib cage, he spit her rib cage open and pull out the livers dripping wow. uh, all over everybody. And then he took the livers and he ran over to the kitchen and he fried the liver and he ate it. And he said, this is what will happen to you when you complain. Wow. 
Yeah, when I, that's I, the feeling, feel I grew up with. I saw pictures in the history books of both the Nazi Holocaust in Germany and Poland and the killing fields in Cambodia. And the pictures that I saw in history books growing up were much more violent and much more graphic in Cambodia than in the concentration camps of Poland and Germany during World War II. And I really want the listeners to hear you say that you spent four years as a child from basically 10 to 14 years old living in that environment, right? Right. Something happened and you were given an opportunity to escape, not just escape the communists in the killing fields, but you were given an opportunity to escape Cambodia and come to the United States. What happened at age 17? Well, actually it's at age 14. Yeah. So at age 14, after, um, after the war was over, the North Vietnamese came and invaded Cambodia. Um, there, was no, there was no law, there was no police, there was no government. It was a period of time where there was no rulers. Yeah. And people did what was right. And um, my, my dad was already starved to death. Most of my family was already executed. We had no hope. Um, my mom was left with four boys and my mother said, son, there's no hope for our family here. Um, here are four silver coins, take it and, um, escape son, go find a future somewhere else and, uh, just go. And, um, now I kind of knew a little bit about a country called Thailand. Yeah. But you have to go through the jungles, and the jungle was full of oh, yeah. landmines, yep. communists, bandits, poisonous snakes, yeah. you know, wild animals. And I sure didn't want to go through it. And But mom said, mom, uh, son, there is no future for us here. You're going to have to go. And so I said, okay, mom, I will, if that's what you want me to go. Did you escape by yourself, or did you have your mother and brothers with you when you went through the no, jungles? I, I left by myself at the age of 14. Man, and how did you end up from Thailand into the United States? Well, from, from so I went into the jungle, and I want to share with you a little bit about what happened in the yeah, jungle. Sure. So for people who went through this jungle safely, you have to have gold or silver or money to pay the guide. Uh-huh. Because in the jungles, there's so much landmines. Right. And most people who go through it will die. And um, so I found a guide um, with a group that was paying him, but I didn't have any money. So I kind of basically became a kind of a stowaway. I kind of walked behind the group. Yeah. You know, I figure if they're safe, I'm going to be safe too. And the guy, he was really mean. He looked more like a water buffalo, you know. <laughs> yeah. he, and he was short and stocky. And, and he said, when I walk, you walk. When I run, you run. When I crawl, you crawl. Where I put my foot, you put my foot. And so that's what I did. That's how I safely went through the jungle. And in the middle of the jungle, Jeff, uh, see, we didn't have any water to drink for like three days. And um, so I saw some water. I saw water in a foxhole. So I leaned it over. Now everybody was gone already. And I I knelt down and I scooped the water and I drank it and it was a human rotten flesh. Oh man. And so I stopped coughing and hacking 
and then rains of bullets was was coming uh-huh. toward me, and I thought I'm going to die. You know, I am really going to die right here. And what happened to communists? They set up traps and they were hiding on the trees, and they did not want any peoples to have life or yeah. you know escape at all. Right. And so when I was coughing and hacking, they was just shooting the AK-47 at me and, um, you know, the grenade launchers that mounted yeah. on the M-16. Yeah. You're familiar with those? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. My, my neighbor got one of those uh, hit on her hip, and she became a hamburger meat instantly. Oh, man. And um, so anyhow, I ran zigzag, like the way, you know, I was in, in hundreds of battles. You know, uh, I was not in military, but I saw and the way the war was. So I, and I learned how to throw hand grenades and using machine guns. Yeah, uh, learning high high in the bush, trying to kill communists. You know, and all. So there's a lot of things that I knew the art of war. So I ran zigzags, and then I made it. Well, when I got to a safe place, um, there was another guy, another person. He was sitting under the tree, and he was waiting. And the, the, the guy told me, he said, if you ever do that again, I'm going to kill you. Uh-huh. But right now, sit down and rest. And um, I didn't know anything about the United States of America. Really? This time, I just wanted to go to Thailand, yeah. and I just want to find some food, and I want to go back to my family and bring them to safety if I could. And so as a refugee, um, this guy, this man that was sitting next to me in a, by a tree, he said he took United States money out. He said, you see this? He said that this money can buy a lot of food. I said, really? It has that kind of power. And he said, this is American money. And I said, American? Aren't they supposed to be our enemy? He said, no. American is free. American has freedom. American yeah. has opportunity. You can be anything you want to be in America. And I took my four silver coins out. I say, is this American money? He said, no, those are not it. Those are French money, but it has a Statue of Liberty uh-huh. on there. And I say, what is it? He said, it's a Statue of Liberty. I say, what Statue of Liberty? He said, it stands for freedom. And I said, I want to go there. I want to go to America. Yeah. And he said, okay. And that's, that's how that's I how you knew up? about wow. America in the middle of the jungle. Yeah. So how did I come to America? Yeah. There was a big gap between, you know, Cambodia and America. Yeah. And I don't know. I didn't know anybody, <laughs> you know. Your story, Hang, is so incredible. Just what you went through as a teenager in Cambodia. But I, I think it's even more impressive what you went through as a young man here in the United States. So you showed up at 17 years old with a first grade education. Is that right? That's right. And went from there and became an outstanding student. So I can't imagine what it was like trying to live in a new country that spoke a different language and you had no real formal education when you showed up here. And then you go from, you know, bottom of the class to top of the class. It's incredible. Tell us a little bit about how you were able to adapt and excel as a student. 
Well, Jeff, I, I, I wish I could say I could do, I did it on my own, but it was not my own. Right. It was really some good godly people that came along my life and told me and guided me to do that. But the, the desire for me is to have the freedom and to have the education was burning brightly when I was a child. See, when I was seven years old, my best friend was shot with both of his legs amputated from wow. the, uh, the thigh down. And I stood there and I watched an American Red Cross come and rescue my best friend, Peng. The guy that we used to run around together was just suddenly shot. And here's this doctor came and helped him and got him out of pain and took him to hospital. And so the desire was burning down deep inside of me. And uh -huh. I thought, if I ever get a chance to go to school, I will become the very best doctor to help people. And I got to the United States. I was illiterate. I was uneducated. And I was taken to church. And my Sunday school teachers gave me a scripture. And this scripture is a, for you can do all things through Christ mm -hmm. which strengthen you. So I thought, if I can give him my life and he can give me salvation and he can save me, then I'm sure he can empower me to become the very best students in high school and college. Yeah. So I studied the Bible, but at the same time I studied you know, the, the, the math and the English, the, all of that in high school. And guess what? It, it was great. Yeah. I mean, everything, you know, we did in high, I had wonderful teachers who loved me and guided me. And uh, so when I graduated from high school, I was ready to, you know, go to college. Yeah. Well, it was I'm, happy time. I was going to say, you did really study, and the proof that you studied hard is that you went from illiterate and uneducated to pretty much the top of your class, and then eventually got accepted to study dentistry at the University of Oklahoma, which is no small feat. So, Well, at that time, we thought it was just like, well, this is just, you know, we didn't know anything. We didn't... You know, it's like, oh, well, I got into, you know, school. Yeah. And uh, matter of fact, when I graduated from high school, um, Jesse Jackson, uh -huh. Reverend Jesse Jackson came and, uh, and gave me a special award. And he shook my hand. He said, Hang, I'm very proud of you. That's <laughs> awesome. I didn't know anything about yeah. Jesse Jackson yeah. then, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and the awards didn't stop at high school. When you went to the University of Oklahoma, you also received some awards for your excellence in the classroom, um, which eventually led to you doing some groundbreaking research and eventually becoming a doctor. So describe your practice now to people who don't know. You gave me a name that was about two, uh, about 20 syllables long, but describe <laughs> what you actually do to people for people that are listening. Well, Truthfully, I'm a dentist. I'm a humble dentist. Oh, uh, yeah, but a little but bit just, more than a dentist. I mean, let's just be honest. I, uh, it just happens that I have the privilege of helping patients from all over America and, and the world. And this kind of patient, they seek me out because they having health problems that cannot be helped by any other ways. Uh, they would have migraine headache or jaw joint pain, or body pain, or gut issues, or heart issues that 
the doctor would say, you know, there's really nothing wrong with you, but, but the patient's having all this health problem. So I am a trained as a neuromuscular dentist. There it is right there. You're going to have to say that one one more time for people who missed that one. <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm a dentist, basically. You know, I reconstruct smile. I, I, you know, I, I take people out of pain. I do a lot of reconstructive uh, surgeries and implants and TMJs. And then I get, I, basically, I rebuilt people rebuild people's faces is what basically yeah. what i hear you saying yeah i rebuild yeah. people's smile i make them their teeth smile beautifully and i make them you know healthy and make them want to live again yeah that is an amazing job i say that because more than a few of my buddies when we were in combat they took some uh enemy fire and it hit the the plates on the front of their body armor and deflected the rounds right into their jaw and so I've seen some very skilled dentists put jaws back together and give people the ability to have a normal life after a couple of rounds went through the front plate of a body armor and was uh, deflected right into their jaw. So it is a really, really important job that most well, people don't think about. I love what I do. Yeah. I just love what I do because it makes a difference. Um, I want to talk in just a second about how you met Rachel. But before you do that, you just mentioned that you help people um, get their life back together and you help people smile again. Um, I do a little segment. We talked about it right before the show began called the high five. And I just want you to know, I was a kid who grew up with a really gnarly teeth and a messed up smile. So can we, really? can we talk back and forth? Just go back and forth a little bit about the doctor patient relationship sure, in the sure. dentist office. Cause I don't know anybody on the planet that gets all excited that they're getting ready to go see their dentist. Most people, it's one of the worst things that they have to do all year long is go to the dentist. I'm the kid who, when I went to the dentist office to get x-rays, you know, the whole x-ray thing that you guys do when you were taking those tooth pictures, or I like to call them toothpicks, and you were putting that big lead vest on my waist or around my neck, I'm thinking, hey, if this is so safe, how come you're putting this big lead vest around me and then running to the other room before you take these pictures? I don't understand how safe this can be when you have to go to another room and put this kind of vest on me. So tell everybody a little bit about the uh, picture, the x-ray thing that you guys do as a dentist. Well, it, it's true, uh, you know, any kind of x-ray is not safe, but the x-ray that we use, we have the highest and the, the, the best technologies now is digital. Yeah. So we'll just use a fraction of the x-ray that would take it. And it's, you know, it's, it's good to protect you because um, the thyroid, the lead, we don't even use lead anymore. It's a special protection, but uh -huh. it's, it's needed to protect the thyroid. Yeah. The thyroid is a special gland that um, we need, I and see. that's why we, we do that. That makes sense, because I see him put that little uh, cape around me, that Superman cape around me, and then run to the other room, and I'm thinking, what are you doing to my face right now if you have to run to the other room to do no, this picture? No, it's to protect your thyroid. I see. Um, yeah. Hey, I was a kid who had really messed up teeth, and I had like one Dracula tooth sticking out, but not the other one. It would have been cool if I had both of them. So it was... <laughs> It was years later when a dentist finally looked at me and shook his head and said, hey, do you want me to fix that for you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sand that one Dracula tooth down so you look a little bit normal. 
Um, and they were in there grinding away at one of my, I don't even know what teeth are called, but they were grinding away at that. Yeah. That, that (laughs) eye tooth making it look a little bit more noticeable. And I also had this, no exaggeration, I had this straight up huge gap between my front center teeth, like Michael Strahan. I could use a rope for dental floss. It was that big. You can, you can shit the watermelon. Yeah, that's right. There. And then I, I didn't, I, my, my family didn't have money for, you know, braces or anything else like that. So for many years, I had this ginormous gap between my teeth. And then dentists started doing a little bit of work. Army dentists started doing a little bit of work and fixing stuff up for me. And now it looks like I have semi-normal teeth in the front. You look great. Well, you thank you. Great. Thank you. I just want to say thanks to all the dentists out there that said, man, that smile is so messed up. Let me fix a little bit of that for you. <laughs> but I can't help but think the job of a dentist all day long is to dig elbow deep into people's mouths, which is just disgusting to think about in the first place. But you got to tell everybody what that zombie breath is like when they come in after eating some garlic and a big nasty onion burger before they sit down in the chair. Come on. <laughs> I, I know it has to be terrible to, to deal with that for well, well, hours. It, well, I think we have a lot of people that has great respect for dentists. So the, the first day, you know, the day that they go see the dentist, that's the day they floss three yeah, times yeah. <laughs> or brush four or five times with the, uh, you yeah. know, the wire brush. <laughs> but there are people that show up with the zombie breath, right? And they just got done eating a garlic and onion sandwich before they get in there and, you're ha- and you have to just breathe that in all the whole time you're working on well, it. Well, those are the people that would say, can you please go to the back and brush <laughs> yeah. your teeth? Hey, we're going to give you some of this mouthwash because your breath is yeah. so bad. They don't say because yeah, your breath is so bad. Matter of fact, go see the hygienist first. That's before right. You come yeah. see me. I just want to remind you, I'm sure you know this already, but the listeners all out there are familiar. When you're filling a tooth and you get that drill out and you start going into my tooth, I feel it reverberating all the way up until the top of my skull. And I'm like, I don't know what you're doing in there, but you got my whole skull shaking right now. Yeah, it's vibrating in it. Yeah. Well, uh, fortunately, now we got a laser. Yeah. You know, it doesn't vibrate us much. <laughs> because it used to, there's smoke coming out of my mouth and the top of my skull is shaking. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're doing in there, but it feels like you're digging for gold in my mouth. <laughs> Sound like you have fun in a dental yeah, chair. Yeah, <laughs> that was, that's basically how it goes for me. When I go to the dentist office, they just look at me and they're like, man, your, your mouth is a mess. I'm like, you need to change the dentist. So now I'm telling you, thank you, Hang, for giving people a smile because I know what it's like to have big, gnarly teeth and to not really have the, not really want to smile because you know how messed up your teeth is. And it is a huge thing to be proud of the way your teeth look. And thank you for the work you're doing. I really love what I do. Let's talk about uh, this amazing woman that you met. Let's talk about Rachel. And can you, without doing a whole episode about her, and you told me she really deserves an entire episode, tell us a little bit about how you met and how amazing your wife is. Well, it's, an, it's amazing how God put us together. So I was, I was in college, and I was doing so bad in college at the first, second semester. And I was wondering, like, why am I doing so bad here? And, um, you know, it didn't have, I was just going to pause for a second. It didn't have anything to do with the fact that this is an entirely new country an entirely new language and entirely new, uh, discipline that you're studying, but yeah, keep going. Yeah. So, so you're right. It was 
it was like I was a top student in high school and I went to college. Now I'm really doing so bad and I'm getting depressed. I said, how can I become a medical doctor as I'm doing so bad here? I'm making C and D. And so I went to my uh, counselor, my uh, uh, friend, uh-huh. uh, Dr. Uh, Peter Danman, and told him all about it. And he said, you need to take a break. You need to go to church camp. You need to do something. I think you're going through a depression. I said, no, I'm not. I'm happy all the time. And so he said, well, you need something. So anyhow, I went to a church camp. I went to a church camp, and at that time, it was all men. All right. And, you know, I came from Cambodia where starvation was my life. Yeah. And they're going to a church camp here to fast. I said, no, <laughs> and you're like, I don't want to. I've already got the t-shirt. I've already done that one, right? Right, yeah. yeah. And this one is fasting. Yeah. And I said, I'm not, I don't want to fast. And then the pastor stood up and said, if you got some issues in your life and you don't know how to solve it, you're going to have to fast and pray and ask God to help you with that. So I took my Bible and I took my notebook. I went into, you know, the jungle of uh, Forest Creek, Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, sat down and for two days, just sat down and fast and pray to God. And say, God, what is it in my life that I'm lacking, that I need from you, that I need to overcome? And out of that, there was a page that God put on my mind to write down what I need in my life. And the, question, the answer was, I need a helpmate. I need a wonderful helpmate. And that would be my wife. Yeah. So I wrote down all the criteria, what I would like to have as my wife. And really? I church camp, fasting. And that summer we went to a mission, we went to a Christian conference in Baltimore, Missouri. And there she was. That Rachel, is, wow. a beautiful, beautiful woman from Minnesota who also came from Cambodia. Yeah. Same experience, ran through the jungles. I was only three miles away from uh, her village when I was chasing the king cobras. You know, I was I was killing king cobras for lunch, uh-huh. and I was next to her village, and uh, we came across the oceans just to meet here. That's incredible. So you wrote down this list of this is what I'm looking for in a wife. And then not long later, you're at a, uh, you see her in the United States, uh, somebody who grew up in the same environment under the same conditions. Yeah, that's incredible. Yes. You developed a pretty successful practice. Tell everybody a little bit about where you practice uh, your, your dentistry in Oklahoma. We, we have an incredible practice in our office. It's in Owasso. It's the Indian names that means the end of the trail. The end of the trail. The end of the trail. End of the trail, Oklahoma. Yes, it's Owasso. It's O W A S S O, but it's a Cherokee word stands for the end of the trail. So, my my practice is Life Smiles of Owasso. Life smiles. Y'all, if you're looking for some work, that you need some dental work done, you should probably write this down right now. Life smiles of Owasso, Oklahoma. Keep going. And we have the most incredible staff and we have the most incredible technology. And we have CT scan, we have lasers, we have EMG. This is this is the best of the best that dentistry can offer. Yeah. yeah. And 
and I, I love it. I practice um, about 13, 14 days a month. And the rest, I do ministry. Yeah. And uh, I spend time with my wife and my kids. We brought two boys from Cambodia and raised really? them. They are grown. Yeah. We have two daughters of our own. They are grown. And uh, so Rachel and I, we are enjoying America. Yeah. We Hang, enjoying life here. Hang, you're making a big impact on people. I have met some of your patients who are, their lives have been changed by your skills as a dentist. But I've also met a lot of people that have just got to know you personally and you've left a really, really big impact on them. That's why we're talking together today. Oh, really? Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. But listen, you you ran away from Cambodia and you escaped. And it would have been natural for you to say, never stepping foot back there again. But you didn't. You have gone back. You've recorded going back to Cambodia. You do good things in Cambodia would you tell people about your latest book, The Ultimate Life, Your Return to the Killing Fields? Sure, uh, Jeff. I'd be more than happy to. I wish i say I'm the one who started this, but it was Rachel. Yeah. Rachel is the one who woke up one morning and she said, this is like um, 2001 when Cambodia was still so unstable right. yep. and turmoil. And she said, uh -huh. I must go back to Cambodia. And, and she I was, I, I just want to put that into perspective for people that are driving and listening. You guys are safe. You've got it made in the United States. And she's saying, we need to go back there and help. Yeah, we, we were living in our dream home. We were having a practice. We were, you know, we were going to an American church. Uh -huh. we, we live a life in paradise here. And she woke up and she said, I'm going to go back to Cambodia. We must go back to Cambodia. And I said, why? I was going to say, you were thinking, she, this woman is crazy. Yeah, I said, uh, it was one o'clock in the morning. And she, she, she stood, you know, she's sitting back. She said, honey, I must go. And I say, uh, it cannot be God. Because like God definitely doesn't want us to go back to Cambodia, right? No, he, yeah. he does not save us to bring us here and then send us back right. to die. And, uh, and Rachel said, no, it, it is God. And then I, I, I say something. I say, if, if it's God... Then I want you to ask Michelle to go with you. And if she goes, then I know it's God. Who is now, Michelle? Michelle is, yeah, Michelle is her friend that she was mentoring. Uh -huh. Michelle never left Oklahoma. Michelle never drank water. Michelle is afraid of insects. Michelle is <laughs> Basically, everything that Cambodia has to offer, it would freak Michelle out or scare yeah. her to death. Yeah. Yes. Michelle is a blonde hair, white skin. Michelle never stepped out of Oklahoma. Uh-huh. So I thought if Michelle would go, it got to be God. <laughs> yeah, because Michelle's not going to go unless it's supernatural, right? Exactly. Yeah. So tell everybody, they're on the edge of the seat right now. Hang, tell them what happens so, next. So I knew Michelle was not going to go. Yeah. I knew for sure. You're like, I got her with that one. Michelle's I never going to go to Cambodia. Said, and she said, okay, I asked her. But I tell you, it's God. And the next day, Michelle say, I go. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she never had a passport before. Yeah. And so she went, and my wife went to her village, and thousands and thousands of people was waiting under a tree for her. Wow. It was so unsafe. It was war. It was 
women was abducted into sex slavery uh -huh. and all of that. And then she came back and she said, 483 people accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Wow. And I said, all right, sweetheart, I think I got the message. Yeah. Let's begin. And that's how we started our mission in Cambodia. So we have a mission uh, that Rachel and I, we are the leaders of that. It's called Hope for Cambodia. Hope for Cambodia. If you're yes. driving right now, make a mental note of that. Go ahead. And so our ministry is to evangelize, to disciple, to educate, to help the poor, and to assist the sick. It's the high five on our fingers yeah. as well. All right. And um, through that, we have, oh, my goodness, in the last um, 20 years or so, the Lord has used us. We have a best friend that we developed who's the three stars general. Uh -huh. And he helped us to establish. So <clears throat> uh, it's just crazy. Some of the places we went to, um, there's another story about that. But it's amazing. It's just amazing. We have established churches. We help, you know, the the, the, the women's church, the right. church on the dump. And it's it's we are just just so joyful yeah. to be able to, you know. But just to think of if my wife didn't wake up and tell right. me that. <laughs> it, well, let's put it this way: if Michelle didn't say, "Yeah, I'll go to Cambodia," but Michelle, you know, God was working Michelle's right. heart yeah. before. <laughs> How long has Hope for Cambodia been going on? How long have you been returning back there? Well, we've been returning since two thousand one. So for twenty one years. For about 21. Yeah. Well, we have not gone back in the last two years because, because of COVID-19. COVID yeah. yeah. But when we went there, we we bring tons and tons of medicines. And we are, most of the works that we do is going to the most remote yeah. place. Matter of fact, one of the time we went, um, we went on along the areas that I escaped from Cambodia. Uh -huh. There were still landmines there. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we took a group there, and we didn't know that there were still landmines, but the Lord protected them, and we came back home yeah. safely. I have been overseas on medical mission trips with doctors and dentists and been to some really poor countries where there's no um, medical of, uh, access available and really no um, ability to take care of your teeth. So the dentist over there just have them lined up hundreds deep and they're essentially just pulling teeth to try to you know get the the worst of the teeth out but there's really not a whole the the need is so great i'm telling you this hang because you already know this but for the listener i can only imagine the thousands of people that you have helped in an environment like that with your skills and your uh, abilities it is it's just a joy to be able to you know to serve other people and serve god yeah. And, you know, looking back, um, you know, back into the jungle when I was in the middle of the jungle. And um, see, I went through the jungles five times. Really? And, and, and one of those times I was left to die. And when I call out, and then I call out to God. Yeah. The God, there got to be a God somewhere. There got to be the God who created all this. If there is one, please save me and use me and... Um, when I find out who you are, I will serve you, I'll follow you, I'll believe you. And that God turned out to be, you know, the one that we uh -huh. worship nowadays. Yeah. And, you know, I'm reminded of a scripture in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire earth 
to show himself strong on right. behalf whose heart is perfect toward him. Yeah. So I wish I could say that it's me, but it really is God right. that chose to save me and bring me to where I am so that I can be his instruments to bring glory to other people. So it's so fun to be used and to serve God, you yeah. know? Hang for, uh, it's obvious that God did something special and preserved your life because you probably should have died many times as a 12, 11, 13 year old boy in those killing fields. And then coming to the United States and developing a sex successful practice. And instead of just holding on to all of that skills and all of that abilities yourself, taking it back to Cambodia and serving the people of Cambodia with it is awesome. And I'm proud of the way that you're honoring God, honoring your faith, but also honoring your um, culture and your country by going back and bringing hope for Cambodia. Well, thank you, Jeff. Something else I want to add as well is for those people who is listening out there. I know your show is called The Unbeatable, right? right? And I have listened to your podcast and I actually trying to uh, uh, learn about you and yeah. where you grew okay. up and, you know, and the people you interview with. And um, I want to say something. I also, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I'm very, very proud of you and, and uh, what you have done and uh, the service that you have um, done for our country and what you're doing now well, is that um, there's a lot of people out there. They need to realize that God is still looking. To, God is still looking. His eyes still, still looking. searching to and fro. Yes, He's he still, is. Yeah, he is. Yep. And he will show himself strong. That's right. Only if we just call his name, right. and his name is Jesus. That's right, yeah. And for those people, American people out there, my fellow American people out there that are, are thinking that there's hope in the government or hope in different organizations, yes, there are, but there's only temporary. My friend, the best and the eternal hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And he is the one who can help you now and strengthen. Come on, look up. Right. Wake up. And uh, let's change our life. Let's make America right. better. Let's make our life better. Your life is a living example of this, Hang. And thank you for sharing your story with us. If people want to learn more about you, well, let's say they want to get your book, um, The Ultimate Life, A Return to the Killing Fields. Where do they go to find that book? They can get it on Amazon or they can um, uh, email me. But it's better to go through Amazon. Okay. Um, I don't get any money out of it. I don't know who's getting the money. <laughs> Somebody's getting money, but not you, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not. My book's been published four times. Um, the first uh, couple of times we printed maybe a couple hundred thousand copies, and it's all sold. But um, but you know, I don't get any money or anything out of it. But if I do, then I use it for you know, hope for Cambodia. Yeah. Uh, but they can get through Amazon. And if they want to learn more about you, where can they go to find out more information about you? Well, they can go to Hope for Cambodia, okay. or they can contact me on email by uh, Life Smiles, Life Smiles of Owasso.com. Life Smiles of Owasso.com. Actually, or, hang on a second. Yep. It's Dr. Lim at Life. Right. I forget I'm a doctor Do now. That's right. 
don't forget who you are, Dr. Lim, L-I-M, at Lysnaus of Owasso. Yes.com. We're going to put links to that. If you're driving right now, you don't have to pull over and write that down. We'll put links to that. Yes. Dr. Lim at LifeSmouseOwasso.com. Okay. We will put a link to that in the notes to this episode. So if you're driving right now, you don't have to pull over and write that down. You can just find the link right there in the description to this episode. Hey, I just want to say you, you really are incredible. The stories that I heard about you, um, people said a lot of amazing things about you, but listening to you today, hang is even more impressive than the stories I heard about you. So thanks for being on this episode of unbeatable. Hey, you heard a guy that if circumstances of life ever should have beat him down, the killing fields of Cambodia should have beat down hang. And instead of getting beat down and throwing in the towel, he decided to be unbeatable take those four silver coins and go do something radically different that changed his life. I hope this episode has challenged you. I hope it's encouraged you. I hope you've sat back and thought to yourself, if he can make it through what he went through, then I can make it through what I'm going through. Hey, if you've really enjoyed what you heard today and you're listening to this podcast for the first time, why don't you follow us on social media? You can search on just about any social media platform for at Unbeatable Podcast and follow us there. And if you've been listening for a while and you really like what you're hearing, go ahead and subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast platform. In fact, do me a favor, will you? And tell everybody how awesome this podcast is by rating us on your favorite platform. And oh, by the way, just to help you handle some of your toughest days, I created this free PDF guide. It's called the Unbeatable Army Survival Guide. It's chocked full of motivational quotes and good ideas, things that will help you get through your hardest days. It's totally free. All you got to do to get it is go to unbeatablearmy.com. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I'll see you right back here next week on Unbeatable. Unbeatable.